Hey everybody, welcome to My Town Hustle. Today's episode is going to be about housing affordability versus affordable housing. Stay tuned. Welcome to My Town Hustle, where we take an in-depth look at the people, policies, and processes that make small towns work. Focusing on trends in urbanism and creative economies, My Town Hustle explores the ideas that make our community special. So sit back and enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody. My name is Jared Perry. Welcome back to season two, episode one we back. of My Town Hustle. Mm, we We're back. back. We, we got back. some news too. Yeah, let's start with that. We're going to start with some news. Everybody knows that Brett is the Yoda of all things government. The Yoda. And that mm. Sam. I'm just Sam. You're just Sam <laughs> of Six Mo City Services. But now, Brett, not only being the Yoda, Yes. Of all things government. He is also of <gasps> Sixmo City Services. How about that, folks? What? How about that? Come to the dark side. I have come to the dark side. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. He has moved. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm pleased. Um, I'm I'm real thankful for this opportunity. And I think it's gonna be awesome. I'm just excited and energized. So you're in week one. We're we're officially in week one. We are. Is today Friday? Today is Friday. Today, today is Friday. Friday. When we're recording. Um so this is the end of your first week yes. as a having left public sector after twenty yes. plus years. Yes. Yeah. Um, this was your first week in private consulting. Yes. You've already basically submitted a proposal. Yes. Uh, worked all week getting it ready. Yep. Um, we've got timesheets. We've got uh, all the HR yep. stuff. Yep. Uh, do you think what any any differences that you can you know for people out there that are listening that are in the public sector that have maybe thought about you know going doing private work well uh, it's a little different it's my first first day in a long time you know yeah. so I, mm -hmm. I literally don't remember what a first day was like so it was way different than what I did before but um, I will say that the tools are a lot more streamlined you know that we're using Um the adjustment I can tell is 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 it going to be too bad? I feel like I was already acting as a poorly paid consultant in the in the public sector. So, <laughs> so um, and that's not that was not my motivation to go. But um, yeah, I can tell that there's different tools. I know that I can already tell that we're going to be working at a different level of intensity uh, on the issues that we're going to face. But yeah, I mean, organizationally, it's um, it is way different. Yeah. Um, I I feel the already feel the pressure of. This is somebody's actual real money, not just taxpayer money, not just a grant, not just yeah. the public program, which is, yeah. I, I mean, I was very mindful of that then too, but I'm like very aware of it now. So yeah. do, you, do you think the expectations will be higher on things that you deliver in terms of past experience because of that realization? You know, I think it's, I actually think it's going to be the same mm -hmm. because, you know, whether they were paying dues to the organization or we were spending uh, grant funds on a project or... In this case, is you know, if we're working with the municipal clients or local government clients, I mean that's still public money. So I mean, yeah. I take the role of a steward of public funds, whether I'm working at a public entity or a private entity, really seriously. Yep. So um, it's the same level of intensity, but it's just a it's just looking at it maybe from one eye to the other. Yeah. But it's I still feel very committed to obviously being mindful, being intentional, you yeah. know, being respectful of that. But yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I don't, I don't think we've ever 
talked about what Sixmo City Services is. So I'm going to just, in case people are like, what 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 the heck is City Services? Who cares about that, Jared? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give you like a 30-second rundown. So essentially, I, Jared Perry, own uh, an architecture and engineering firm. And we've got, you know, roughly just, just south of 20 employees. Um, and Brett and Sam have basically started this division of uh, city services where it's kind of like a, I don't know, what do you want to call it, a municipal consultant? Sure. You can do mm-hmm. everything from comprehensive planning to uh, zoning. Zones! And just a bevy of other things. Um, but it just kind of breeds into that same soup to nuts kind of mentality uh, because the architecture and engineering industry was already already there and uh, something both of you are very passionate about something i'm passionate about especially you know in, in small small towns yeah. so anyway that's the uh the news yeah. for yes, for 2021 indeed. if anybody's yeah. got any questions for brett if they're out there thinking they want to do something like that i bet he would be willing to answer what what all like anxiety you went yeah. through uh making that there choice. was yeah there was anxiety yeah. Or there's no way to there's no way around leaving it. a yeah. sure thing for I, d- I left the surest thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> people were like, "So hold on, you're uh you're just gonna leave this because you don't want to do it anymore?" Yes, that was the end of it. I, yes. I, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. super grateful. I mean, they I mean that opportunity gave me everything. It gave me a start. I was a snotty nosed college kid, literally. Mm-hmm. I walked in the door. Yo, I need an internship, and it happened. And then I never left. <laughs> so I like to think I just wrapped up my 20 year internship at a regional regional council but yes i would be happy to talk to anyone that wants that's thinking about making that leap i could even recommend a few books that i read that really helped me kind of go through the process and um i didn't take it lightly i mean obviously it was it was very serious but i feel really really energized for the first time in a long time so that's all excited that's good thank you we are happy to have you thank you yeah uh and we're certainly going to continue my town hustle in, in this and i actually think we've got an episode coming up um on a particular local issue that I want to take a little different approach on and actually tackle it from a consulting perspective. Sure. It, mm-hmm. So it's, it'll be a little more, it'll be educational, but it'll also be problem solving. Right. Like yeah. take you inside the first hour of what it's like to be a consultant on this issue. If we were hired to, to triage this and, and do something for the a municipality, here's how, what our first hour of consulting would look like that's yeah. kind of want to take you behind the scenes and do that i think that would be pretty interesting for people um if you don't already follow us uh twitter yeah. no were we on twitter no twitter I mean, we deleted twitter Did stand we deleted, by we deleted stand twitter. By. <laughs> <laughs> don't check us out on twitter facebook <laughs> instagram uh you can follow us there um hit us up if you've got questions support at mytownhustle.com if you haven't given us a five-star review please do uh that's how people find us uh based on their interests it gets populated up into their feed uh, feel free to shout, uh, give us a review as well. Uh, we appreciate that. Okay, today's topic, affordable housing versus housing affordability. Yes. Brett, you kind of shared this article yep. uh, with us. It's from 2018, I think. Yep. Do you want to kind of lay the groundwork of the general premise Yep. of what, when people talk about affordable housing, most likely they're talking about one of two things. They just don't know they're talking about different things. Yes. And mm-hmm. most likely what I got out of this article, I want to, I want to get, the, I'll wait f- to that for later. Why don't yep. you lay the, the groundwork? Right. 
Well, I just I thought this was an interesting topic because in the conversations that we have, uh, n- not even at not even at work, just in the community, I understand and I sense a lot of concern around housing, whether it's in the city of Marietta, whether it's in our county, you know, just in general. I, there's a lot of conversation, on, even on the national scale, about housing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that locally, housing is one of the issues that local governments have the least amount of ability to impact. Right, that there's very little policy that they can enact. There's very little. There are very few incentives that they could enact to uh, influence policy because really, it's all housing is really in the hands of uh, those that develop housing mm-hmm. and those that, uh, it, like, if you own housing and if you own rentals, it's really though they drive the conditions and they really drive the market. Yeah. Municipalities and, and communities can can impact that through zoning, you know, and through land use and things like that, but, and, and, you know, various regulations around rental requirements maybe in a city. But other than that, you know, a a city like Marietta, Ohio, doesn't really have the ability to bring new housing into existence. Do you know what I mean? And and I think there's a, I think that in itself is a misunderstanding. So when, I think when folks sense a housing issue, the initial question is, well, what is my local government doing about it yeah and quite honestly they're not really well equipped to do anything about it so right. mm-hmm. so that's kind of the background of why i wanted to talk about this so the title of the episode housing affordability versus affordable housing or vice versa i would argue that most people when you say that they think that is the same thing would you agree right yeah and so in itself uh, just to set it up for you affordable housing is a thing right a, a home, or a residence, a, f- a structure that is affordable to you. It's a thing, right? It's a noun. Mm-hmm. Housing affordability is the ability of a person to pay for whatever housing is available. So that's not a thing. That's uh, an, abil- you know, a, an ability, an action in a, in, a, in a citizen or a homeowner or a renter or whatever. Yeah. So they're fundamentally different things. And I, I want to talk about how those things impact folks differently because they are not the same. Yeah. So one of the things that I, because I'm a numbers guy, I, the first thing that I kind of looked at, you know, I went right down to housing affordability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier for me to, to grasp a hold of that subject. And they started talking about median incomes, mm-hmm. right? And then this kind of 30% yes. level. Yep. Do you want to kind of dive into that? Yeah. So the idea is um, on the census and other kind of publicly available data, the level of affordability is usually compared against 30% of your income. So the idea is if you're spending more than 30% of your income on housing, uh, then that housing theoretically is not really affordable for you. Or if you're paying that much for housing, that's you know causing you difficulty in paying for other things or supporting other things that you require in your lifestyle. So optimally, you want to keep your housing costs at you know less than 30% of your income. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, from, that's what the government is, is kind of pointing at. Sure. And I would say yeah. even in if people who are following in circles of, you know, let's stay out of debt. Let's get all that stuff cleaned up. Dave Ramsey's kind of a guy that would do that. His percentage is, is 25%. So it's right there. Sure. You know, yeah. these are not people that are spending well beyond their means yes. for housing. Yes. So yeah. I, I, I saw that number. I was like, yep, that's Spot a, on. that's a legit number. Yep. So, to, to go a little bit more into that, the 30% of a person's median income, our median income here in Washington uh, Washington County or the city of Marietta is somewhere along the lines, I wanted to say, the county is like 40,000. Yeah, it's, it's in that ballpark. And yeah. the city is around like 28, 
29. Stand by. Keep going. I, I, <laughs> keep going. He's going to check on it. But so to kind of break that down, quick math, right? You're looking at if you if let's just call it thirty thousand. Yeah, call it because either. I'm going to do quick math. Yeah. Right. Thirty percent of thirty thousand dollars a year, right? That amount of money is what you're putting towards, you know, uh, whether it's renting Rent. or or housing, et cetera. Mortgage. What whatever. I couldn't, yeah. Well, what I couldn't get out of that was, mm. are they talking about rent or are they talking about a mortgage in here when they're talking about housing affordability? I, or are they I, talking about both? I took it as both. It's both. Yeah. It's both. yeah. Okay. So going, you know, easy math here, right? Mm-hmm. So thirty thousand, thirty percent. Um, I think it's like. Uh, like nine grand a year. So you're just south of like 800 bucks a month, somewhere yeah. in that vicinity. Yeah. Um, and what you're paying for a rent or for mortgage. But if you're buying a house, you're technically, you know, you've got insurance, you know, probably at that level, um, you're, you're paying mortgage, uh, interest or whatever that insurance PMI, yeah. et cetera. Um, I'm actually going to Google a, a mortgage calculator just to figure out, you know, what a what a 30-year mortgage would be. You know, what kind of house you could afford for, you know, 800 bucks yeah. a month. Um, the interest rates are low, but I think it at a hundred thousand dollars, just just north of three percent for a 30-year fixed. You know, you're looking at about 450 bucks a month in a mm-hmm. mortgage payment. Yeah. So if, if you tack on taxes, insurance, et cetera, you'll probably get to, you six, know, seven, six. 800 bucks. Yeah. I would say. So you're looking at about a hundred, then I'm going to call it to $120,000 house that you could purchase for making 30 bucks a year or 30, 30,000 bucks a year. Yeah. yeah. Provided you have no other, you know, debt, debt. <laughs> yes. You know, hopefully you don't have college debt and an income of $30,000 a year. That's a variable right there. That is a variable. Um, That's very likely, too. Very likely. Mm. Here we go. Stand by. Brett, Brett's got some yep. latest numbers. The median household income for Marietta uh, as of in 2019 was $38,729. The per capita income in 2019 dollars was 27820 Okay. okay, so I must have been thinking per capita, but still thirty eight thousand, you know, per household. You're still in the the hundred twenty thousand dollar range. I want to say for for purchasing a home. Yeah, um, I mean that's nine fifty a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be thirty percent. Would be thirty percent. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you if you would take roughly sixty percent of that, that's what you could pay for a mortgage, and then you tack on insurance, PMI taxes all that stuff but just think about that in the real mm-hmm. world if you're making thirty eight thousand dollars a year and your house payment is 950 to me mm-hmm. that just sounds i mean i know what i pay for my mortgage and i'm sure you guys do too and that's seems like a lot for thirty eight thousand dollar salary just oh in, just in my opinion yeah so you get a sense of where that 30 percent leaves you do you know what i mean that i would yeah i would also at the same time think about if you proportion that out Thirty percent being what you guys make to what you're if you were to use thirty percent of your salary. Sure. Like if I was forced to. Right. If I was yeah. forced to spend thirty percent of my salary on a house. Exactly. Yeah. 
You'd be, be living balling. in a different house, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there is that. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you you should. should. Yeah, right. and, the, and yeah. the reality here, Jared, is that you know somebody who's making twenty one thousand dollars a year and is paying six hundred six fifty a month for a rental. That's the that's that's the problem that that that's the issue that we're describing. I would yeah. agree. Do you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's where that number that r- that ratio of housing cost to income. Is, becomes concerning. And I think that's where the line between affordable housing and housing affordability intersects. I think that's where those two things that you're sure. talking about, yep. where the 650 a month for $21,000, you are well beyond your 30% now, oh, yeah. and you need what it, uh, affordable yes. housing. Which, and I love how he, uh, the we, we can link to this article, yes. right? I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, um, He kind of talked about what I think of af- when I hear the term affordable housing, I think subsidized housing. Yes. Well, it's pretty That's common. the first thing that comes to my mind. And that would be where, again, I think that line intersects between the two. Well, and I think it's also important. I th- I don't think many folks realize even what subsidized housing is. So there's subsidized, there's housing that's eligible for like section eight vouchers, right? So you're a landlord and you can decide whether or not you accept the section eight voucher yeah. you know for somebody that qualifies um and what what did we say yesterday there were some places that the uh, section 8 waiting list was 10 to 20 years yeah i've read that on a website called wikipedia you might check it out <laughs> wiki <laughs> you know it's good <laughs> i think you said in some some suburb or more urban areas it was it was it was that i don't remember exactly. it, it was yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it, which is insane i mean and and the good thing about section 8 I mean, the good thing, if there's a good thing about the Section 8 voucher program is that it's tenant-based, right? So the tenant qualifies for the voucher based on their income, mm-hmm. and then it's up to them to find uh, an eligible property with a landlord that will accept that voucher. Yeah. That's different than creating new housing, building you know, building new housing that is affordable from the beginning, you know, being constructed. And this is the, what you see play out, like, in New York City or other metro areas where Yes, there's lots of housing being built. Yeah, it is not. Af- it is not in this in this conversation affordable or market yeah. rate. Right, it's for middle class, upper upper middle class, upper class renters or um, you know purchasers. It's not for let's the not fresh say, out of college. Let's not, let's not put labels on them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I know <laughs> that's an issue. My apologies. <laughs> okay. Anywho, no, I I totally oh. I totally agree with what you're saying. Um. So what what Sam what are some things that you took out of this specifically related to Marietta or another smaller metropolitan I, micropolitan area I took I I took more of the article um because Brett kind of mentioned it earlier about what the government really has you know no power in really in really doing is is the upzoning so you know actually changing your density um uh, inclusionary zoning to allow more affordable housing or, you know, more subsidized, I think, housing um, uh, of the actual market rate of whether or not you can put in there. So that's what I took out of it. Um, I think most people definitely think affordable housing is subsidized. I mean, I think that's it's it's if you were to take a straw poll, that's probably what you're going to get. I more or less for me took the article that it's just you need to work together, have one or the other. So I'd like to hear Brett's take on 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 really what the actual I'm not too familiar either with what the solution would be to solve the problem for both. 
I think, yeah, and I think you're, the spirit of what they're saying here is that mm-hmm. part of this can be helped by um, revisiting zoning. Yeah. So, I was just going to say zoning. Right, so yeah. for example, in a, in a, let's take a community like Marietta, and obviously a lot of the neighborhoods, they are single-family homes only. Yeah. You know, there's setback requirements. You know, there's all these things that really make it so a lot of residential areas are really only suitable for single-family homes. If we decided as a community that our goal was to really grow our population, I would argue right now, and I'd get your take on this, mm. we don't have the housing to support much more population than we have right now. That's just my opinion. There, I don't see a lot of empty houses out there. We don't, you know, there aren't, there aren't mm-hmm. a lot of apartments out there. There mm. are some duplexes and stuff, but I don't sense a lot of available and empty housing like on a wide scale. So if we decided we want to grow, we would have to do something. So mm-hmm. we don't have more area inside the city where we could build more single family housing that meets the setback standards and all that stuff that's in our zoning right now. Correct. And to Sam's point, if we wanted to grow, we would have to densify inside the areas we already have residential. So think Mm -hmm. about accessory dwelling units. Think about, um, you know, uh, garage apartments, uh, small, you know, small, tiny homes, small Mm -hmm. homes, other things, you know, like um, things like that that would allow us to densify inside of our existing residential areas because we don't have more areas that we could build into and i think it's highly 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 unlikely that we're going to annex anything in so if we decided we wanted to grow we would have to find a a new way to do that and we would have to modify some of our zoning or just be very intentional about it in order to support that and i think that's the challenge that urban places are facing the same but they actually have the need for housing we don't at the moment have the need they're facing the pressing and sometimes crushing need and don't have any way to Mm -hmm. address it or satisfy it and so um then they're in a real bind. Yeah. And I think they're still, and they had the example of the St. Paul councilman. Yes. So we talked about, when we talked about zoning previously in other episodes, we mentioned St. Paul, Minneapolis, and their 2020 plan. They did this up zoning. Zones. Had a lot of fallback because zones. Uh, but he, uh, the councilman, uh, passed an amendment that would allow inclusionary zoning percentages uh, or would mandate higher. Uh, oh, I remember this. Yeah. Higher, higher rates. And then. Uh, at the same time, he voted down he the voted zoning down. plan because that it, included his own amendment. Uh, his own amendment, right. uh, because it called for too much density. So yeah. I think even ulti- ultimately, then we come across this problem between what is afford what people how people view affordable housing, yep. who is in affordable housing, how those government entities are ran, et cetera. You know that personal bad stigma to it sure. to actually what is housing affordability. So one of the things we should maybe um put out there from a developer's standpoint you can look at the data and not marietta but the msa of marietta belpre parkersburg vienna like the what i'll call this core kind of group here um it is underserved and underutilized like underserved uh in housing we do have a housing shortage in the msa I don't know if you're going to get people from South Parkersburg or um, Vienna or, or wherever to move necessarily to Marietta if you build the housing. But I like if you were to build more single family homes. Yep. But what I do think you could get if you if and then again, this would have to be done at the city level. It would have to be something within zoning and you'd have to have a developing partner 
for this. I do think you could have an affordable, and I've said this on several episodes, have an affordable housing project come in and build a very large complex. I do think you could, that would be completely filled to the gills. I don't, th- I, you wouldn't have a single issue filling that. And then the vacancies that are left, both by um, folks here um, in Marietta that would vacate, you know, a rundown rental, right? right. Uh, because uh, we should post pictures there. The, I, these people should not be living in these homes. No. Um, the things that are left behind, that w- is what opens up the opportunity. It's kind of this chicken or the egg, but it opens up the opportunity to then redevelop those properties yep. into other single family yep. homes or or multifamily or higher density, whatever you want to do. Yep. And you do that within your your zoning or your legislative um, or your development office or, or whatever. But that's kind of where the city would have at it if there is no active developer that's seeing the need. That's what happens a lot in urban areas. At least, you know, my experience in Cleveland is see a need, fill a need, right? Because sure. I can make money at it. Mm-hmm. That's what the developers think there. There's less capital floating around here in the Mid-Ohio Valley. There are a few players, and, you know, we all know who they are, um, that go out and they build rental apartments. A whole new town. Yeah. Right. Oh. <laughs> whole new town. Yes, exactly right. Um, but outside of that, you know, they're they're not doing it at the scale and the speed that they're doing it in a major metropolitan area. Sure. Yeah. So you, you're not going to be able to capitalize for, as a city perspective on that. And I think what Jared is saying is when it's working effectively, your local government is really just setting the table so those developers can eat, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the optimal role. And I think when I worked at the regional council, we spent a lot of time talking about two people about it's not our job to like do the project. It's our job to help set the table so private entities and private businesses and private developers can do the things that they want to do to benefit the economy, benefit our communities and whatever. Yeah. Our role is to make sure that public infrastructure is suitable, right? Access is suitable. Yeah. Our regulations are understandable and suitable, you know, and just set the table so those things that you're describing, Jared, can happen. Yep. And I think that's, but I would say to a citizen, that's probably not enough action to help address the issue, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that, and yeah. then that therein comes the frustration, right? Then now we're in a frustrating position because those things that I just described, they're not very tangible. They don't, what's tangible is seeing construction, right? Seeing things go up, seeing bulldozers or whatever, scratching at the dirt. That's tangible. That's, that's the, that's the action we want. Well, and that's where the city's yeah. between a rock and a hard place, in my opinion, because, as you guys have always said, the number one refrain you get in the public sector is do something. You know, why aren't you doing something? Yeah. yeah. And then at the same time, if you do something, it's, well, why are you doing that? You're competing <laughs> with me. Don't yeah. do that. No facts. Yep. So <laughs> it, it's a, it, the city and administration would be b- between a rock and a hard place. But, you know, really, I think in that s- scenario, I would say choose your conviction. If you're an elected official, do what you think is is right and you can't be moved from it. You know, don't don't play in emotion, play in data yep. and do what you think is right for the community on the long haul. Um, I would argue and I would think this um, this individual who wrote this article uh, down at the very end, his last section is called a better coalition. He basically says 
the exact same thing. The answer to both of these questions is actually them and together, mm-hmm. not siloed. Yes. Um, yeah. It's working them together. And that's kind of what we've articulated here is you're going to have to raise the bottom in order to raise the top. You can't just raise the top and yes. expect the bottom Correct. to come up. Um, so I, I think, and I would, I would also mm-hmm. have to imagine, and I don't know this to be true because I'm not as involved as you guys are in this, but I would have to think the more you raise the bottom, you know, if, if the city of Marietta or anybody else that's in a similar situation were to bring in and do an affordable housing project of pretty big scale, right? Where you're attracting folks, um, who who are experiencing mm-hmm. a housing shortage, let's say in Parkersburgs and the Belpries and the Williamstowns or Viennas or whatever of the world, and they, you know, matriculate to Marietta because of this project and the, quite frankly, you know, the walkability. Marietta's yeah. got a downtown walkability square of like 90 plus. Like, yeah. it's great. Um, if you were to do that, my assumption is you're going to then qualify for more CDBG funds, you're going to qualify for more um, funding sure. to do projects around those type of things. I mean, am I wrong in that or not? No, I don't know how that works. No, well, the the bedrock, and Sam knows this too, the bedrock of CDBG is benefiting low to moderate income yeah. individuals and households. Right. I would argue that we live in a community that is not interested in attracting more low to moderate income households. Yeah. I would agree. And and, and yeah. nor is any community maybe on the surface. And I wish there was a way and this is like there's you know we need 5000 more episodes to cover this but like how do we destigmatize that? Yeah. That that saying to somebody that's low to moderate income should not be an insult. And quite honestly the the point of all these programs CDBG and our just our community spirit is to help raise people up out of those conditions. And so everybody has to start somewhere. We were all low to moderate income and in some cases really, really, really low income. Mm -hmm. People in this room, I'm looking at them. (laughs) And and so, you know, I I just wish we could remove the stigma around what that means because I I agree with you, Jared. I think part of the challenge is, and it's not just Marietta, I think other communities Mm -hmm. have this. When you're a community that's, I don't know what the number is, 90%? single family households that are of a certain type and and everything. The idea of adding something that's not that to it and attracting a whole different type of population, whether that's demographic or whatever, uh, is scary to to folks. Um, Even though I think we need that for the future continued vitality of our town and and, and many towns and every rural town needs that. And I think that's the plight of the rural town is we just can't seem to get ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Like, we all want it, but we just can't seem to get there. Well, the, what you were saying about the ground up or bottom up really too is, is what they're saying is that you can't do it without the top. So when you allow these low to moderate kind of inclusion of, of housing and districts, then that's how you build it back up. You know, you help one help the other. But when we discl- and what he goes into in the article is about how, in the past, public policy and affordable housing gets pushed on the outskirts, you know, so it gets pushed away. The more we include in those, then it works out in everybody's favor, um, and that raises that up. So I think that's yeah. And I would that, argue right now in Marietta, there is no. It's, although there is no 
affordable housing projects built inside of an R1 or an R2, I could easily point to low-income or affordable housing, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. that is in R2, in R1, right next. I mean, you got a house that's probably worth eighty. $70,000 $70,000 next to one that literally next door to one that's worth $2 million. I can name it. It's on Fifth Street. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, dude. Yeah. That's the kind of like, <laughs> so that, like, I understand his point of view from Minneapolis. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't translate here because we already have the, what I would call, low to moderate income right next uh, to upper middle class, maybe 1% even, you know, I, side by side. It's the, where well, you're talking about the big infrastructure project. You know, or, if you were to build a, you know, a major housing project. Not so much big. Just, I think, I think I was more alluding to is that the stigma is, it, it exists here, but it's really not true. I mean, yes. I, I, that's what I'm. I, it I, isn't true. It isn't true. Yes, it already exists. I think what people, what they articulate locally that they're not saying when they say that is, I don't want, because, again, he goes into this in this article at the very, I think it's like in the very beginning, he talks, you know, affordable housing doesn't really have an architectural style. Yes, it does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and an historical an town <laughs> like Marietta, you do not put this modern-looking you know, EFIS covered house right next to this 1870s Victorian beautiful historic home. I think what they want, and I've been advocating for this for one whole season and I'll continue to advocate for it, they want some sort of control from an aesthetic standpoint so that they can preserve, rightfully so, the the historical nature and of the town and preserve what they have, and then I would love to have another. I'd love to have an. I've, we've said it before on when we did the the floodplain uh, episode. Like I would love to have a modern part of town. I'm a, you know, I don't care about different. Or I love all architectural styles. I do done right. I don't like when people hodgepodge stuff together. Yeah. But I like them when they're all like the little pockets. You know, that's a modern pocket. That's a that's a Tudor pocket. That's, you know, like that's a early American or new American or whatever they call these houses today. Like I like those all together, but mixed in, you lose any sort of nostalgia. You lose any sort of, of historical preservation. And I think that's really what people locally, at least here in Marietta are guarded against. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, you don't see it anywhere. Yeah, I agree. So I don't know. Have we beat this horse? Is it dead? I got a, I, I, not yet. Okay, not you yet. got a hot take. I've got a hot take. Oh, hot take. Hot take. Yes. All right. Here's my hot take. So, and I, I think this could take us many places. So, and I'm talking really about housing affordability here. One of the challenges around housing affordability, and and people in this room and listeners, I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here. Okay, for hmm. purposes of discussion. Okay. Housing affordability is really challenging in the United States because 
in many cases, the family home is the only tangible asset that a family has in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so that family's kind of financial condition, financial future, financial outlook in many cases is tied to that asset appreciating only. It must appreciate. Yeah. And therefore by by and when your whole when the whole housing market is angled into that mindset by nature there will be people who will ne- you know will never be able to afford to enter the housing market because that those assets must appreciate. Yeah. And I think that's and again housing affordability the discussion so there's that. I think it also goes I mean there are direct avenues into the minimum wage discussion. Um, wage stagnation, wage inequality. I mean, it, it directly goes into all those things. But I will say, I, I, I can observe that in many cases, that house being the only asset that a family has, maybe they don't have other investments, other retirements or pensions or stocks or anything. All they have is their house. That's their asset. Yeah. And so it must appreciate for them to achieve their financial goals in the future just by that nature of it always increasing. Incomes aren't increasing. You know, median median incomes aren't increasing. Per capita incomes aren't increasing. Therefore, some people will never be able to enter the housing market. And I think that's like an unspoken issue that I, I observe that. And I don't I, I don't know how to solve that, but I just want to put that out there to say we should recognize that that is an issue. It is. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have another episode um, on. I, I think we talked about this at the end of last season uh, and it's it's coming up very shortly on a, a documentary that was done growing up poor in America. There's a, a family from Marietta in that documentary, but it, your statement got me thinking, uh, this, this woman that was in this documentary, she owned that house. Yes. Because most likely it was passed down sure. to her. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying sh- people can't afford to get into the market, I, I would look at that and I'd say, and they also can't afford to get out of it because because yeah, that is say, an owned, say, more, say more about that. Yeah. Because it is an owned asset. Yeah. Its value is basically, I mean, not much. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the capital gain that she would receive from selling that house wouldn't put her in a better position right. financially right. Yeah. to go enter the housing market right. for an upgrade. Yes. Yeah. Therefore, she's kind of stuck in limbo. Right. Can't afford to leave. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You can't afford to to maintain a, yep. a house that's you know uh, all of the homes you know here in Marietta. Um, I mean, mine's older than 1900. Um, most of them are yeah. you know I think 150, pil- 125 yeah. years old. I think old. the Pilgrims built mine. I think the <laughs> ma- part of the Mayflowers <laughs> in my house, literally. So, so uh, I'm remodeling yep. a part of the basement that's got a dirt floor. Nice. So some old, I think some old dirt. I think that's true because my house was built in 67. It's just a ranch style home, but it needs a lot of updates, but I feel trapped in some, in some regards with mm-hmm. it. And you're because in a, a newer, you're outside of the, the city limits mm-hmm. to paint a picture of people are just listening for the first time in a community called Devola. Suburban. Un, yeah. Unincorporated. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or not part of the, the city itself, yeah. but it, all of those homes are of that vintage. Yeah. Basically. Uh, correct. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Any other reactions to my hot take? 
I, I could no. go on about that for a long time, but I, I just recognize that as do you issue. have a do you uh, have a reaction to your own hot? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a reaction. I, I just you know it's one of those things that I think about, and I've 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 read things about it, and you know, watching people that are younger than me try to enter the housing market, especially here, yeah. I I recognize the challenge. I mean, I'll be quite honest with you. If if you just graduated college or you're like a really young person with a very very young family and you've got your first job and you want to live in Marietta. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford a single-family home that's in our community, it's going to be hard for you to live in Marietta. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't sense that there are are a lot of rentals, but those rentals out there are mortgage-level rentals. Absolutely. Things like that. So so I just think it's – and again, I'm not not treading on Marietta here. I'm just using it as an example because I think Marietta is the Anytown USA example. I think this – reality is true in Caldwell and in Pomeroy and New Lexington and Logan and every town in America that's less than 50,000 people is struggling with this issue. I agree. I agree with you. So I just, I just put that out there for thought, dear listener. Well, I was, (laughs) I bought my house in 2017, was making 42.5. My, obviously I'm married. My wife and I bought it, but welcome to the 1%. Welcome to the 1%. But uh, we around here, we, we lived with her mom for about a year. Um, we weren't sure what we were going to do. It made more sense. We got we got very lucky and had a very mm-hmm. favorable loan uh, for us. But uh, it was we didn't really have too much capital to put down on a down payment or any you know anything like that. But the rents were comparable to what our mortgage, what we were calculating, what our mortgage would be. Mm-hmm. So it was either rent or put some money to a house and start building some equity. That's why I bought my first house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I lived in Warrensville Heights, uh, which is on the east side of Cleveland. I worked in Westlake, which is on the west side of Cleveland. Don't don't ask me <laughs> why I did that. I got the apartment from my dorm room in college. I send was your, so excited. Send your criticisms to support at my <laughs> yeah. So, But the rent I was paying at that time it was 2008. Um, and I had looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, and there was a suburb called Lakewood that was much closer, like 15 minutes away from from Westlake, and bought a house. I was same position as you, mm. um, didn't have anything to put down on a house, so it was a. I don't know if it was a, they have a special name for whatever the type of mortgage that it was, mm-hmm. um. But honestly, I. For the mortgage and all of the insurance and, and the PMI for not being able to have 20% down, mm-hmm. um, all of that was less than what I was paying in rent. Yeah. For, I mean, and I was in a, my wife will tell you, a run-of-the-mill apartment. Like, mm. super basic, uh, you know, very low-income type of a facility. And, like, mm-hmm. does that make sense, though? No, yeah. and I, mean, I got that, eight grand. Yeah, during that time, that was like the other yeah. kicker. <laughs> yes, I remember that. But you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> turn around and use that eight grand for your down payment. You had to take the cash. Darn, darn. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Um, but that plays into the housing affordability and affordable housing all at the same time. I, I thought, and I mm-hmm. think it plays into that asset consideration. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and so now. You know, you've got an asset, and you really want that to appreciate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because at that moment, that was probably your biggest asset. Oh, my gosh. That was definitely and, my biggest and, asset. And imagine 
if that you lost money on that asset, where would that have put you or you listener? I mean, just, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just, so just think about, Mm -hmm. it's the only thing out there I can think of that like of any investment that like we will that thing to, it must increase. But is that real? And I guess that's a whole nother, I mean, I'm just, I'm spitballing here, but I just, these are the things I think about. Now I can get paid to think about it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this, this thing up. Um, do do we want to give any examples if, in the show notes of maybe this article and any other ones that we've come across? If people want to dive a little deeper in that, can we yeah. can we throw some in the show notes? Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. This is this is an issue. This uh, refashioning your zoning to allow greater density is is mm-hmm. a hot topic in a lot of metro communities across the country that are trying to figure out what do we do to, mm. to address the housing Yeah, So maybe we, we, we link to some forums actually, rather yeah. than uh, we'll certainly link to the article that we were referencing, but we'll give you some forums yeah. as well that you can, can check out. Um, all right. That's going to do it for today's show. Uh, unless you guys got anything else. All good. All good. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like more info, be sure to check us out uh, at mytownhustle.com. If you need to chat with us, hit us up support at mytownhustle.com. If you are feeling froggy, We appreciate a five-star review. Uh, And I guess that's it. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to My Town Hustle. We would greatly appreciate it if you would share our podcast with someone who you think would benefit greatly from it. But most importantly, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you consume your podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening.